as you're driving to church, did it, did at least it cross your mind? And this is some nice weather. I should be outside. Because <laughs> about halfway through first service, I felt that way. I should be somewhere else. <clears throat> but I decided, I decided, I'm, I'm coming back for second service. So, uh, You did see the announcement about the business meeting. Uh, we want everybody here. If you're a voting member, we really need you here. Uh, if you're not, we, we still want you here. In fact, we need you here. I think it would be beneficial to you. And if you want a, a notebook, uh, we can get you a notebook that um, has all the stuff that we're doing for the business meeting and things. But this is when we talk about our, the finances, where we're going to the church. We talk kind of a, a little bit about vision, some of that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about the building. Uh, we are progressing on the building. I haven't mentioned it lately, but we are progressing, just not as quickly as, as I would like. But, I, but if I brought you up to speed on everything, it took me about an hour just to bring you up to speed on what we're doing with the building, uh, some of that. So... So we're going to talk about all those things Wednesday night. Please be here. We're also going to vote for uh, board members. We have two board member positions we're going to be voting on. All of that is, uh, if you're a voting member, you already got the notebook. In fact, you got the letter to nominate. So, uh, so be here. Be here Wednesday night. We're going to be also having uh, surf and turf while we're, while we're having the meeting. Yeah, steak and lobster while we're having the meeting, Probably. I just want you guys here. I don't mind what you say to me once you get here. but um, So <clears throat> something I had looked at, I had, I had seen this little uh, statistic. There's a, uh, a great uh, study that, has, that just came out by uh, Guttmacher Institute, and you can look that up. And it's, and it's a study about... Well, the, the study is actually taking place, uh, started from 1971 until now, and uh, the this, this study has been released, but it, it, it went over a bunch of stuff. Some of it, it doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about this morning, but, but one, of the, one of the areas or categories of the study is just looking at how um, people are thinking nowadays as compared to what they were thinking. So 1971, I was born in 1970, so the, the beginning of the study is my life. That's, that's the length of the study. And, uh, and it's talking about how teenagers in our society today, um, specifically teenagers in high school right now, are becoming much more conservative. And that abortion has gone down 82% uh, since uh, 1971 till now. The, the teenagers of today, the abortion is 82% less than it was um, when I was, uh, uh, as my generation was growing up. So, so what are these things? Because if, if, those are hard to believe statistics. When I was looking at that, and there's a lot more in this study, those are hard to believe statistics when you look at the landscape of our society. I was watching some show yesterday, a British show, and uh, they were, they were, making these assumptions through the show that everybody under 30 thinks the exact same way. They're all liberals. They're all pro-abortion. They're all um, uh, changing sexual identity constantly, uh, all this kind of stuff. And uh, guys, this, this uh, study, which is an extremely large study, uh, really attacks a lot of that stuff and says it's just not true. It, it may be it may be um, from the outside true. It may be the front that we put uh, up when we're going to school, to work, to those kind of things. But it is not who we really are in our hearts. And, uh, and it specifically is talking about how this generation really is getting much more conservative as they get older. And, and, and here's another thing with this that I think is interesting. You, have, <clears throat> you still have those elements within the church. I'm saying teenagers in early 20s within the church that are pushing against uh, God, his word, and they're working on trying to establish a more liberal, I'm saying morally, not, as, not necessarily politically, but morally liberal mindset. And so now they're doing two things. They're having to fight against, now they're not fighting against TV and Hollywood and CNN, but they are fighting against the cultural direction that society is going right now, and they're fighting against the spirit of God and the word of God in the process. And uh, so, so I think, and I, hopefully all of you are doing this, but you, it's, it's important that you be constantly praying for 
the, the younger generations. Um, specifically, if you're one of the older ones, <clears throat> which I'm not, but if you're one of the older people, you should be praying for the younger crowd. Not, not, not picking on them or critiquing them, praying for them. Statistically, if you're 50 years old, statistically, teenagers are more conservative than your generation. That's just the truth. And so now that's not what you see. That is not what you think. Uh, when, and, and obviously when the teenagers are going to school and all these kind of things, what is being uh, verbalized back and forth is not that. But who they are really inside, they have to hide that. They've been trained to hide that. They've been trained to, you're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to say these words. You're not allowed to whatever. But um, this, this, um, it's just an interesting study. You should go look at it. So this is Palm Sunday. <clears throat> and... Uh, And that means it's the week before Easter. Did you guys know Easter is next week? Did you know that? <clears throat> Some of you guys know what I was saying there. The Easter's. But most everybody doesn't. So, um, now here's the thing about Palm Sunday. I want to walk down through some stuff here that I think would be very interesting to you. Uh, I don't look at Palm Sunday the way that a lot of people look at Palm Sunday. Let me explain why. I'll just go into this. Uh, the first thing is, let's go to John chapter 12. I, I've always wondered why the church celebrates Palm Sunday. Now, you say, what? It's, now, I totally understand why the church celebrates Easter, death, burial, and resurrection. That's the center fo- That's Everything is about that. We don't, there is no reason for church without Easter. I get that. But the Palm Sunday is interesting to me. Here's why. Um, the first part of this, we're going to walk down through three, three developments of thought as we get through this. The first one is seeing without knowing. And, and I think this is the same, what we're going to read here is the same thing that the church is trapped in today. In John chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 12, the next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. This is a, this is a very interesting moment. This is prophesied about uh, multiple times in the Old Testament. Every little aspect of it, the, the, the donkey that Jesus is riding on prophesied about, the fact that the donkey had never been ridden before. I think that was bravery on the part of Jesus. All of these things that are involved with this. But... All of it was prophesied and it needed to happen. It was a, it was a big moment. But it was, it's interesting to me because I think the prophets that prophesied about this in the Old Testament did, did not in their minds see exactly what was actually going to happen as opposed to what they thought. I think they thought this was a very powerful spiritual moment and that the people were getting all these other kind of things. But it's not. See, they're shouting out, Hail to the King of Israel. Most of the people there, including the disciples, and we see this all, all through the New Testament, specifically in this part of Scripture, we see where they thought Jesus was a, a physical king that was going to come, a king warrior, and he was going to take over the government, a big coup, and he was going to sit on the throne and chase the Romans out of Israel. All these different things were, were going to happen. And interestingly, <clears throat> um, less than 20 years after this time frame, um, actually, a little bit more than that. About 50 years after this time frame, uh, the, 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 everything is in ruins and the temple's actually torn down. And they thought it was going to be the opposite. When they prophesied about this, I'm saying in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes riding in on a donkey and everybody's shouting all this stuff and doing all these things. And, and they're excited. They're actually taking palm branches, throwing them down on the ground. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And throwing them down on the ground. And they're taking their cloaks off and throwing them down on the ground so that the donkey won't even touch the dirt. The donkey's feet won't touch the dirt because this is the king. Now, the reason is because they thought he was a physical king. But here's part of my argument with this. I don't even think most of the people there even thought that. They were just caught up in the moment. They were just excited about this time and everybody's doing this. And and John even says later down, I'm not going to read all the way down to there, but John even says later down in this part of scripture, the reason they did this is because Jesus had done miracles. That's very important in in understanding this little part of Scripture. They weren't doing this because they really thought he was the transcendent Lord and Savior of their lives. 
How do we know that? Let's, let's read on. <clears throat> Jesus found a young donkey rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. You know, that's a, a big tradition. It had been around for a long, long time. We even see back in David's time when David, um, I think at the time when he anointed Solomon, he said, now go get my donkey and have Solomon ride on it, that kind of thing. Which is interesting to me because they, David had to have got this from other kingdoms and people groups. This was a tradition thing that had not come from, my opinion, had not come from the Israelites. And, and part of the reason is we don't see anywhere that, that there seems to be a, a claim to this. And because it's so young into the kingdom mentality of the Israelites. King David's the second king. And he's already developed this tradition. I think he got it from other people groups. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying. I just thought I'd let you know that. But I, I think he got this from, from a tradition kind of thing, which is kind of strange to me. Because if I'm the king, I don't pick a donkey to be what I ride into the city. Everybody else is in horses and chariots, and they're all there, and you're on this little donkey in the middle of them, kind of riding. But that was the that was the the the, the kingdom mentality. That's what that's what kings and specifically conquering kings rode on is donkeys. So that's why Jesus gets on this donkey. They're saying he's the king, uh, all this kind of stuff going on. But I I would strongly posit I don't think most of the people in this group, and there were there were potentially thousands of people. Here. There had to have been enough people that there was that all the way into the city, the donkey only stepped on palm branches and cloaks. That's a lot of people. Okay. So of these thousands and thousands of people that are just thronging around Jesus at this time, I don't think most of them believed he was the king and that, that they were seeing this, this great blessing from God. I think they were just saying this stuff. He says his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. They didn't even really get the spiritual transcendence of this. They're excited. They're caught up. They're, they're all in with Jesus. They're, I'm not questioning that. I think they're all in. And I think there were people in the crowd that when they threw the palm branches down, they were all in, not with a physical king, but, but they had recognized that Jesus had said some things about being the Messiah and the transcendent one. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened. It wasn't until later that they processed back and thought, oh yeah, that scripture told us that. They remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Now here is part of my argument why I've often wondered why the church celebrates Palm Sunday. Because of, of this event happening, first, it was very disingenuous and very hypocritical, except for potentially a handful of people. Why do we know that? Because one week later, these same people are shouting out crucify. They had to have been. Where, where would you get the other extra thousands of people? These were the same people, the same people throwing palm branches down and saying, the king of the Jews is coming. They didn't even, they didn't even really believe in their heart that he was going to be a physical king. Now, I believe that some people did, like the disciples and stuff like that. But these people were, they, they were being very hypocritical about this. They were just caught up in the moment. I don't think they really understood who Jesus was. And, and here's part of the deal. I don't even think that they really had a deep desire or care to know who Jesus was. Not who he really was. He'd been doing a bunch of miracles. He'd been doing a bunch of things. And they were drawn to that. And that's cool. And it drew a crowd. Interest. People are curious. Maybe their family member can get healed, that kind of thing. But one week later, they're saying, no, we would rather kill Jesus. Give us the murderer Barabbas. Let him go free, but don't let Jesus go free. Crucify him. Not just put him in jail, but kill him in one of the most brutal ways you can kill a human. It's important for us to process personal people. Now, this is where I, I think it's important for us to process on a personal level. <clears throat> I think we can see, I think we can see Jesus, see the things that Jesus does. We can see the, uh, the, the things in his word and not really let it get into our heart. I've done there, I've been there, done that kind of thing. I know what that feels like, I know what that looks like. To where you're getting the information, but it's not getting into your spirit. And, and not to overly pick on, I'm not trying to condemn us with this, but to think about some of the stuff that we just spent 30 minutes singing about. Is that, is that really in our heart? Is it coming from us? Or is it, or is it just that's the time we do this, the music singing bit? We're about to move to the offering bit. Then we're going to go to the preaching amazingness. <laughs> <clears throat> right? You tracking with me? 
So, so you understand what I'm saying. We can all be guilty of this on micro levels all the time. I'm not, I'm not overly picking on that. That's not what I'm saying. You know, sometimes you're just caught up in the day or the tire. Or you, you know, you're thinking about the, the dinner was cooking. Linda, Linda was, has been out of town again this weekend. So this is her third weekend. She's in Utah, and now she's done with this for a while. And, and so I went and got this big ham. I love ham. Big spiral cut ham. And I, and I got it, and I, and I really caught myself... Wednesday night, thinking about this, even on the driving home from church, that I can't wait until Linda goes out of town Thursday, because all I'm going to eat is ham. I didn't have side dishes. I didn't have nothing. I threw some olives in there. I liked olives. But ham. Think about that. Uh, sometimes we, we can be thinking about stuff like that, uh, stuff at work finances, stuff like that, instead of really focusing in and saying, okay, Jesus, I just need to lock myself in with you for a little bit, even during our time of worship in the service. But, but I'm really talking about a much bigger picture. I'm talking about taking your palm branches and throwing them down before the king and declaring that he's king, and a week later wondering if he's real. Throwing our palm branches down, our cloaks down before the king, and then upset at him because he hasn't come through in whatever you need him to. And, and by the way, we all in this room have struggled with these things. Every one of us in the room has done this. Where we really question, we're upset. We even get mad at God sometimes or whatever. But, but, but being that disingenuous kind of thing, that I, I really think there's, there is a, um, literally across the Christian landscape uh, in our country right now, I think there's a lot of palm branches being thrown down by people that, are, that really don't think he's everything in their life, that they really don't think he's the king, that he's not their savior, he's not their redeemer, he's not their warrior king, but on a spiritual level and dealing with physical things in our life. And we, and we can get in the habit of the church of throwing these things down before the Lord and it not being real. And, and we come to church and we do the church things and we go home, we come to church and I, I know I say this, but I probably should be saying it almost every week, as you cannot have a deep, growing relationship with God if all you do is come to church once a week. And by the way, coming to church once a week, you'll be more consistent than most people. Okay? But you can't have this ongoing, consistent relationship. There's not an intimacy involved. When you, when you hang out for an hour, an hour and a half with God's people and talk about God a little bit, you've got to be pursuing Him. You've got to be going after Him. You've got to be on your face before him. You've got to be hungry for him, needing him to be in charge of you, desiring that relationship, that intimacy, that closeness. You've got to be going after him. And we have convinced ourselves in the church for too long that we are just okay by just doing this nominal church kind of thing. We have got to reject that, and we've got to get on our face before God. Not pointing at others and trying to figure out what they're doing, but you do it. You just get on your face before God and say, God, I am pursuing you. I'm going after you. Let, let me go to the next part of this, because this is where, <clears throat> this is where I think we can uh, get a little bit more about the Palm Sunday mentality. We're going to go to John chapter 4, and I'm just going to read down through parts of this. And this is, this is the... the the thought process of truly seeing and accepting to really internalize and there becomes life change. It becomes something that defines you. It's not just a, a church mentality, a religious mentality, but it becomes something that is life changing. This is the woman at the well story. And I'm not, I'm not going to read all of it because it's, it's, it's too long to do that, but I'm going to jump down through specific verses. So Jesus comes up to the well and, um, and it's about lunchtime. The disciples go off to get some food. Jesus is there. The woman comes up at noon, which, by the way, tells you already some things about the story. If you know some tradition and stuff, she's the only one showing up there at noon because everybody else came to get water early in the morning. I think, it doesn't say this, but I think the reason she's there at noon is because she didn't want to deal with all the other women. She's feeling guilty. She has a lot of condemnation in her life. And uh, people probably added to that quite a bit, um, specifically women around the water fountain. And so that's why she's not, that's why she's there later. She's not there earlier in the day. So Jesus there, she comes up, um, verse 7, John chapter 4, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Verse 10, Jesus replied, 
if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to. Guys, isn't that, isn't that defining for our country right now today? If you just knew, if you just knew what God has for you. He has given you the gift of salvation. He has given you the gift of relationship. He has given you the gift of freedom. If you just knew that, if, if, if we get that deep enough into our spirit and we can take that mindset to our workplace and our, and our neighborhoods and everything else to our neighbors, if you just knew, if, we, if that could move us and stir us and motivate us, if you just knew what God did for you, <clears throat> if we could just tell people that. Again, I, I, I don't think people are as rejecting of that as, as what we might think they would be. We've trained ourselves in the church world to think people don't want to know about Jesus. But I can give you proof that they do. It's called look in the mirror. You're a people too. Don't you want Jesus? Didn't something make you decide you needed Jesus? Well, they're, they're not different than you. Okay, so let me move on. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, the king, she got to speak to the king in, in person. I've never had that opportunity. She said, if you just knew who you were speaking, I mean, he said you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, that's a strange statement from a dude at a well by yourself with a woman, right? At, at some point, she's like, is that like, do you come here often? That kind of thing. I actually said that the other day. I was in the gym, uh, and this old guy was standing there talking to me, and he was talking to me about my socks. Because um, I, have, I have socks that have right and left letters on them. And I'm really anal about that. I can't go through my day if I've got my right sock on my left foot and my left. How many of you are with me in that? You just don't do stuff like that if you're a thinking individual. So he looks down at my socks and he goes, you know, they're designed. And he goes through this whole thing about how design, socks are designed for the comfort of your feet to be on the correct foot if they're nice socks. He said, so it's good that you have them on the right feet. I didn't know what to say. I thought, you know, I need to talk to this guy. Maybe I can talk to him about Jesus, witness to him, whatever. And so I said, hey, do you come here often? <laughs> and immediately I'm like, oh. I mean, like a dude in the gym that's going to work out and stuff like, shoot, you know, I don't, I don't know. All right, so that one was free. <laughs> he said, I'll give you living water. Verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Look, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. As we, need to, we need to go there. We need to know that's part of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus himself says, you can have, if you'll let me be in charge, truly be in charge. See, this is one of the lies that Satan tells us, is that everything is always better out there. I believed that for years. I, um, as a teenager, I wasn't serving God. I go to the Navy, I'm not serving God. I uh, give my heart back to the Lord in um, a dorm room uh, right after I got back from my boot camp and Navy schools and stuff like that. And, and here's one of the big things is I had this idea that there was something out there that I would miss if I, didn't, if I followed Jesus. I would miss. Now, I'd already been out there enough to know the, the club scenes and the drugs and the alcohol and all the stuff that is not fulfilling. Okay, I, I never took drugs, but I was with people that did. And I'm like, and this is your goal? But, but I, I knew that context, I knew, and I realized that's not what I wanted, but I hadn't really committed totally to the mentality that I needed Jesus. Because I was scared he was going to make me either be something, do something, go somewhere, say something, act a certain way, dress a certain way that I did not want. And then I realized over time, as I began to surrender a little bit more and a little bit more to the Lord, um, I'm saying after I got saved, that the more you surrender to Jesus and surrender your existing the amazingly more, in a, in a very aggressive uh, bell curve, the amazingness of Jesus is way more fulfilling. The more you surrender, the more you're fulfilled. The more you submit, the more amazing life becomes. This is one of the things I want to shout out to the young generation right now where suicide is so, uh, 
prevalent. This is an amazing place that God has given us to live. So, well, you don't know what I've gone through. I do know I am a human too. All humans go through stuff. But I also know that this is... I, I thought about this this last week. I think we talked, some of us talked about this a couple days ago. But the, um, the mountains this week, a couple different days this week, in the morning as I'm coming to the church, it was, the mountains were frosted, completely white. That doesn't happen that often like that. Amazing. I wanted to just sit. Actually, what I wanted to do, I was driving my Jeep. I wanted to get up in there, but I had conferences and calls and things I had to do. I had meetings with people. Very discouraging. <laughs> you ever felt like that on the way to work? Like I could be doing so many better things than working today. Right? He said it becomes fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You want to say, mm, you're not there yet. You, you, you didn't quite get what he was saying. And so Jesus really, he drills down here. And he does, he does something that I, I encourage people not to do when they're witnessing. But he's Jesus. He gets to do what he wants first. Plus, the Holy Spirit had supernaturally spoke this to him. But he drills down pretty quick here. Think about if you're just having a conversation with a person you just met at Walmart. And you, have, you start having this part of the conversation. He said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You spoke the truth. All right, bye-bye, and then you go check out your groceries. I mean, that literally, that's the conversation. Jesus drills down quickly, but here's the reason, is because she could, he could sense, and the Holy Spirit obviously speaking to him through this, he could sense that she was, she was ready and she needed, she needed to be confronted with that. She needed to be brought to this point fairly quickly. Verse 23, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this comes back to even what we do in our services during time of worship. As you can't, worship is a, is a spiritual thing, but you can't truly go there unless you're, you're doing this in truth. Unless you're really allowing truth to be in charge, you're not really... You're not really connecting with the Lord the way that you need to be. You are connecting. I don't want to overdo this. But, but he says what he's looking for is people that will worship him in truth and complete an open spirit honesty of everything that the Lord wants to do in their, in their life and, and uh, also spiritually. That's, that's what he's saying here. Worship him. Worship him spiritually. But you've got to be open and honest before the Lord as you're doing it. Some of the things even in the last few weeks that I've talked about Forgiving others. Your worship is going to be hindered if you're not forgiving others because you're not being open to what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. He's trying to get you to forgive him. He's trying to get you to go there. But if you don't, you're locking up what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. You can go down there with sin, with attitudes, all kinds of stuff. He says that the Lord is looking for people that will worship him in his spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, because now she's really getting closer. She wouldn't have said this statement if she didn't already start to get it. Okay? By saying this statement, she is light years ahead of most of the people that were throwing the palm branches down at, 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 on what we call Palm Sunday. She is way ahead of those people. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. Why, didn't, why did she bring that up? Why is that her next sentence? Because everything before was arguing and trying to change the subject. Everything. Why does she say this? Because she's getting it. She said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Man. Don't you know... She not only heard that, she felt that. She felt that statement. Remember when they came to get him in the garden and, um, and Judas came and kissed him, they said, we're seeking, and he said, I'm the one. Everybody fell down. Don't you know she felt this statement? I'm the Messiah. I'm the one, I'm the one you're talking about. And, and here's, the, here's the amazing cool thing. 
She didn't, she didn't walk away going, <whistles> she realized it and she believed it. Down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. They all already knew. They see, this interesting thing for us. Most people in your life know all the things that you're trying to keep secret. They already know them, okay? Everybody knew everything about this woman. They knew the stuff that was going on. But when she goes back to them and, and, and to the city, to the, the village that day, and says, hey, there's this guy out at the well, and he said this. He basically knew everything about me. But he also said this and this, and he said he's the Messiah, and he says he's got rivers of living water that will be in our spirit from him. All this kind of stuff. They recognized because of who she was and who she already was changing and becoming in front of their eyes by accepting this story of Jesus. They said, well, this, this warrants us to investigate. Some of you, that is your, that, that was your, that's part of your story. Is by, telling, by, by accepting Jesus, the people around you begin to realize this has got to be real. Because I have known you for a long time. <laughs> right? All of a sudden, you, it's like the uh, Ebenezer Scrooge story. I'm not saying you're Ebenezer Scrooges. I'm just using it as an example. But when he changed, everybody was like, this, something's wrong with him. Are you sick? Are you, right? It's the same thing. When we get saved, there should be change in our life because we have recognized that the king just took over our life. We have submitted ourselves to the king. That the lamb was slain and his blood covered me. And that warrants some kind of something. Life change, transition, something. That warrants me pursuing him and his word and his plan. And they'll immediately be changed in your mind, your heart. This inward change. This, this love uh, uh, infusion into our spirit. All these things. So they immediately recognized. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two days. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. He just got through saying he's the Messiah. And they didn't say, lock him up. They said, please stay for a couple days and tell us more about this information. Total different than the throwing the palm leaves and a week later saying, crucify him. And these, this is, you understand, he had gone outside the, the little zone of Jerusalem. If you, if you go to, the, to, the Act, to Acts 1 where it says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, he, he had already moved out. Right? He's not, he's not in the epicenter. These are not predominantly Jewish people that he's talking to here. She, she was a Samaritan woman. She wasn't Jewish. The village was mostly that. So he stayed two days, long enough to, for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know. Now look at the sentence. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. That's, that's a different mentality than throwing your palm leaves down and a week later desiring a murderer to be released over your Savior. This is a total different mentality because they're accepting Jesus for who he says he is, not who they thought they wanted him to be, not for some kind of cultural whatever or just because the crowd was going along. These people were truly accepting he is the Messiah. Let me show you a video here. And, <clears throat> and this is, I've showed some of his videos over the years. And uh, <clears throat> Rob, you don't like videos? You don't want to stay for the video? <laughs> Whatever. So, um, so I, I've showed this guy's videos before many times over the last few years. And, and about three years ago, probably three years ago, I showed one of his videos. And I mentioned that this guy... Uh, was not a Christian, okay? I got more feedback from you. It's the second most feedback I've gotten. Uh, the first one being when I, when I dyed my hair. But, uh, and I won't do that again, I promise. But the, I got a lot of feedback because many of you are saying he's a Christian, he's a Christian. But I, I saw him online many different times saying, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe in this uh, Jesus as God, Okay? This is Jordan Peterson. And, and then, <clears throat> over the last year and a half, year to year and a half, um, his wife got very ill, cancer, I believe, and then he had gotten very ill uh, with, with a, uh, I don't remember the name of the, the nerve issue, but 
where his nerves are just on fire all the time to the point where he has to keep moving. He has to keep his body moving if he's not moving. And I went online and I looked at videos of this and seen it. It's, it's a pretty horrible thing when you see it played out as it gets further in people's lives. But somebody gets this and they just have to stand there and do something like this because if they stop, their body just lights up on fire. It's like electricity going through them. And he's been dealing with this. Um, it's also been affecting mentally, emotionally. He's been struggling in, in depression, all these different things. So coming out of this, over the last month or month and a half, he started talking again. He did one interview for the, the London Times, and he shouldn't have. They, he said he'll never do interviews again. He shouldn't have done that one. But um, So with this, he begins, he's talking with this guy named Jonathan, Jonathan Pagal. I don't know exactly how to say his name. If you want to look at this, I would suggest strongly that you go and, and look at this entire thing. This clip that we've got is just little pieces put together of a few minutes throughout this hour and 45-minute uh, conversation with this guy online. Um, if you want to go look at it, it's um, his podcast, um, Jordan Peterson, Season 4, Episode 8. It is powerful. All kinds of stuff in there that is just how he is processing who God is, how he's processing information, how he's processing Jesus. We're taking a little bit, and I'm doing a great disservice to everything that he said by showing just this little bit that was put together by somebody and put online. But this is, to me, he's the, he's the Samaritan woman, and he's really seeking. See, I said three years ago, I didn't think he was a Christian. I stand by that. But um, I, I also said, but when you search for truth as much as this man does, you will find Jesus. When you really are searching for truth, that path, without realizing it, that path will begin to turn, and you will end up at the foot of the cross. Because he is truth. He is absolute truth. So let's look at this video. This particular critic that I've been reading said, well, that, that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods. And of course, people have made that claim in comparative religion. Joseph Campbell did that, and Jung to a lesser degree, I would say, but Campbell did that. But the difference, and C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well, the difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's a, there's a representation of, there's a historical representation of his, of, of his existence as well. Now you can debate whether or not that's genuine. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that, but it doesn't matter in some sense because this, well, it does, but there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth. And in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't okay. know. I don't, I'm amazed at my own belief and I don't <laughs> understand it. Like, because I've seen... Sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch. You know, that's Jungian synchronicity. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real. Like, we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world. But the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that, in principle, is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to... And that seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. Well, but I still don't know what to make of it. It's too... Partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. If you believed in the story of Christ or if you believed that history and, and let's say, the narrative make meet, let's Both, say. I yeah. think. I think you, because when you believe that, you buy both those stories. You believe that yeah. the narrative and the objective can actually touch. Yeah. It's oddly plausible. Here's what I have found. It, it is a terrifying thing. When you back up and you think about the full scope of who Jesus is. But it's not terrifying if you look at it through the blood that he's covered you with. It's, it's no longer terrifying. 
it's uh, more than oddly plausible. It's extremely comforting. But, but here's what happens is, and I've watched this, I think, pretty much all my life. It's amazing how often when something happens to people that are not Christians, they start moving, to, I'm saying big, tragic stuff, they start moving toward Jesus. And here's my argument. I think it's because they've tried all the other stuff. And they're realizing it's futile, and they start moving toward Jesus. And it's amazing how um, oftentimes in the church, when tragic things happen, we move away from Jesus. And we, we're thinking maybe there's another option out there. And it's, it's powerful to me to see uh, Jordan saying this, and it's scary. And, and, and if you watch the rest of it, he talks a lot about that one of the reasons he hasn't really jumped in and served Jesus is because the church. He says if the church really believed that he was everything, that, Je- that Jesus was everything he said he would, wouldn't they be way different? And he is completely on with that. Because if we really believed that Jesus was the everything, our whole country would look different. That, that, that things like abortion would not be a thing in this country if the church just knew that they knew. But see, this is where I'm arguing. I think we've got more of a palm branch, cloak down on the ground mentality of Christianity. It's cool right now because Jesus is doing what I like. He, it's, it's fun to watch. Church can be fun, those kind of things. I mean, I work around here to make it not fun. But church can be fun, all exciting, all this stuff, until all of a sudden something happens and the party stops. And you have to come face to face with you and your mortality and your existence and your life and the difficult things of life. And that's where we should be turning to our Savior. Why? Because He really is big enough. He really is the majestic ruler king. But, but that also takes and demands, and the more you know and the more you understand <clears throat> cognitively, that is where the fear comes in because you know that it demands the soul, the spirit, and your surrendering. And that's where it becomes frightful to us. And, 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 and Jordan talks about this a lot through this. That if, if you really believe, shouldn't you? He says this. If you really believe in this is this is a non-Christian saying this. Although I would say he's, I think he's accepted Jesus. I think that's why he's saying this stuff. He just can't say it the way Christians say it. He's been, he's been saying it not that way for so many years. You know, you don't just come around and go, I got saved. Hallelujah. You know. Um, but through the rest of the video, you see that he has had a profound personal, um, at, least, uh, at least on the road to Damascus, experience with Jesus. He may not have got all the way to Ananias' house to be prayed for, but he's definitely had the on-the-road moment. Guys, if, if, if we really believe Jesus is real, shouldn't we be all in? And let him invade everything about our existence? Go with me to Revelation chapter 7. We know that salvation comes from God, and this is where we have to got to get to. We've got to get away from the, the things that we do so comfortably as a church. And, and I know I'm picking on Palm Sunday. I like Palm Sunday. I think it's great. I'm glad we celebrate Palm Sunday. I'm not anti-Palm Sunday. But I've always wondered why the church celebrates something that is one of the most hypocritical moments in the New Testament. Prophetically, from God, the Holy Spirit, and the prophets, and who Jesus is sitting on the donkey, all of that's not hypocritical. That was divinely ordained and instituted to come to this moment. But the people that were gathered around, they weren't all in with him. They weren't. He wasn't, he wasn't their Messiah. He wasn't. Let's go to a different Palm Sunday. I don't know if this one actually happened on Sunday, but it's the Palm Sunday I think about. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John is saying, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And my heart moves. I want to be at that moment. I want to be standing there watching this moment. I I don't want to, this is just, this has nothing to do with me get to heaven. This is just, I just want to see that moment. But I also want to be part of the moment spiritually, okay? I don't want to miss it. So, They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. This is going to be a total different feel than what John wrote about. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation 
comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Not the warrior king sitting on the donkey that hopefully will help us have better economics and, and, and don't have to deal with the Romans. But they're saying salvation comes from the Lamb. Now all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. Total different feel. And they sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? You guys know who the 24 elders, right? Disciples um, and the 12 tribes, right? This is just a little thing. I, I don't want to go. I had somebody ask me this after first service. I don't want to go down this road like crazy, but um, they have to go get my wife from the airport. God just told me that. I don't want to go down to this, but I don't want this to distract you, but it, I just think it's cool. It's the way I think. There were 24 elders, 12 disciples, 12 apostles. This is John asking potentially himself. Are you following me? And I said to him, sir, you're the one who knows. And then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. That's the Palm Sunday I want to be involved with. My life, God, you can have my life. I don't want to just shout out a praise to you every now and then or sing a song or dance a jig or something else and my heart and my life not be completely surrendered to you. Because I need you. I don't need all the stuff. I need you. I don't need all the, 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 the church things. I need you. The Palm Sunday that says, these people died. The people waving these palm branches died for Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? This is, this is a moment where I think that um, I think it warrants us as a group, as a body, just to say, okay, Jesus, we just need, we just need you. As, I, as, I'm, as I'm processing reading this and as I read down through Reve this part of Revelation, a few times the same thing kept coming in my spirit. I, I, just, I, I just needed to get saved, right? You say, aren't you saved? I hope you're saved. You're the pastor. But I just felt that, Lord, I just need to get saved. Just need, I just need to make sure that I'm yours. And that I'm not, I'm not playing some game. That I'm not halfway in between somewhere. That I know in my head, but it's not in my spirit, my heart. And, 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 then, and the thing from Jordan just kept coming up. The part You haven't seen this part, but where he kept saying, if you, if you really believe in Jesus, shouldn't you be all in? That's what I want. I want all in. So I want us to pray together. I haven't done this in a couple months, but... I want us to pray together and just repeat this prayer with me. And basically, every one of us, we're just gonna we're just gonna get saved. We're just gonna get saved this morning. What what better way to end a service, right? You say, well, what if I'm already saved? Whatever. Let's just get saved. Okay. Bow your heads with me and just repeat this. Everybody in the building, just repeat this prayer with me. Lord God, I need you more than anything. I surrender myself, my life, my existence. I believe Jesus is the King, and I accept Him as my Savior. I ask you to cover me with the blood of Jesus, and I want to be made right with you, God. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God, thank you. Thank you so much. Lord, we know we don't deserve this. We don't deserve. We don't deserve even being there in heaven. We don't deserve standing with the 24 elders as they throw their crowns down. Lord, we don't deserve this. But 
But Lord, if you give me a crown, I'm throwing it down with them. Because you're the king and just, just knowing you is, is reward enough. Just being close to you is reward enough. Just knowing you love me is reward enough. Jesus, I want to be all in. you have an opportunity this week to invite somebody to church. Easter's is a time when you can do that very simply, very easily. Invite somebody to church. Here's the thing. Um, We're a little uh, less full this morning as we were last week, but you might consider if you're going to bring a family or somebody, you might want to consider first service. Um, We'll, there's still plenty of room in first service. So, uh, to think about that because I think we're going to be fairly full next week. Just just throwing that out there. If you like being packed, which I do not, um, do what you need to do. But but invite somebody this week and really think about it. Tell them, tell them you'll take them to breakfast and then bring them to first service. Or tell them you'll take them to lunch after first service. You can afford one time to bring somebody to church. So there you go. Um, and it's going to be a great time. We've got some things planned for you that I think will, it's going to fit everything and you'll, you'll really enjoy it. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them or invite them to service. Take the opportunity and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here. And uh, we will see you at the business meeting Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.